0: Welcome to Worldly, part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. It's me, Zach Beecham, with Jen Williams and Alex Ward. Hi. Hey, everybody. So this week, as you probably know, was the 17th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. Uh, There's been a ton of coverage, and a lot of it's been very good. uh, But we really thought a lot about this one article in Foreign Policy that looked back at what's happened since the attacks and came to a surprising conclusion. Al-Qaeda won. When we started talking about it ourselves we found that we kind of disagreed both with the article and with each other. So we thought that we'd spend the episode laying out the case for both sides of the argument, that al-Qaeda got what it wanted out of the attacks and that the attacks didn't accomplish their objectives, that they didn't work. Now, let's start with some basic background about this. Give us a quick refresh on what's going on with al-Qaeda and how they were thinking about these attacks.
1: So uh, al-Qaeda, when they... Launched the 9 11 attacks, the entire goal uh, and their entire strategy, just kind of in general, was to attack the United States and basically make the cost of US support for dictators and US involvement in general in the Middle East so high that we would eventually decide to pull out and stop supporting these dictators, right? So they had this strategy, the near enemy versus the far enemy, and basically the United States is the far enemy. They wanted to attack us first because we back all these dictators in the Middle East. They want to topple those dictators. So in Egypt- Right, and replace them
0: with an Islamic state.
1: Right, exactly. And so, you know, it's Saudi Arabia, Egypt, all over the place. And they realized basically over the years, they couldn't really do that while the U.S. was still backing these groups, while the U.S. was still backing these governments. So the idea was, okay, well then we'll convince the United States to stop backing these governments, right? So then they'll be less powerful, and then we can topple these governments. And to do that, they decided to carry out the 9-11
0: attacks. Right. And to understand 9-11's role in all of this— you have to understand their strategy for making the cost too high for the United States. So, Alex, what was the what was the immediate intent of the attacks? Like, what did they want the United States to do afterwards or want to happen to the United States? Because the goal wasn't just kill 3,000 people and then America will leave, which obviously didn't happen. They, they, there was more thought into it than that.
2: Right. Well, I think one of the, the grander goals here was to cause almost an internal implosion of the United States to lead us to overextend to think too much about terrorism to you know spend too much money trying to defeat terrorism throughout the world on on causing an internal they were trying to create a nervous breakdown in the United States.
0: And if you look at what's happened since 9/11 and this is the argument in these al-Qaeda one pieces uh, that vision kind of came to fruition, right?
2: Right. I mean, well let's look at what happened after 9/11, right? First of all, we went into Afghanistan like the the next month in October 2001. We fought there. We just, We thought we were just going to kick out Al-Qaeda and the Taliban and we'll go after bin Laden. And then we didn't think we would stay there too long. And it's been 17 years since we've been there. We also started a war in Iraq, which was, we used 9-11 as a pretext. We are now in multiple countries around the world, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, uh, Yemen, uh, just so many, the Western Africa, just so many places right now to defeat terrorism. And this is a massive overextension. I mean, obviously, it's like just a couple hundred troops elsewhere, but that takes our time and attention and resources away from a whole bunch of other issues we could be working on. And just putting it out there when you listen to Donald Trump, it's, he kind of hits on this theme, right? We've just been everywhere for so long. Why haven't we been focusing on the United States mostly? And frankly, he's his rhetoric kind of comes out of the what happened after 9-11.
0: Well, the Trump point is a good one because it illustrates the more subtle and clever part of the strategy. I don't like calling al-Qaeda clever because they're evil monsters. But this was the, the smartly designed part of it, is they wanted to sow internal tension and, and really even amp up anti— Muslim bigotry in the United States. Now, that might seem counterproductive in al-Qaeda's goal, but the point was to show that the United States could not be a friendly place for Islam, that Muslims cannot live well in the West, that they need an Islamic state, and they need to support groups like al-Qaeda in order to survive and be happy and so on. So you get this massive surge in Islamophobia in the United States, and and you get you know police mistreatment of Muslims and surveillance on mosques, and all of a sudden it looks like the U.S. is acting out Al-Qaeda's caricature of America.
2: Right. I mean, it opened Pandora's box in a sense. All these things that were, you know, subterranean level finally came to the surface. Our desire to kind of go after anyone and and, and everyone that might be tangentially involved with this group, and frankly, it also led to the Bush administration's animosity towards Saddam Hussein leading like, to do an invasion. I mean, it just, it did so many things. As I've said, the nervous breakdown, like what it's really done is expose so many fractures in our body politic, in our thinking about military affairs, and our thinking about inter, you know interpersonal relationships. It was really, a, a, outside of it being a horrible terrorist attack, it really was the catalyst for so many bad things that we did afterward.
0: And the way that I think about this, um, that really gets to me when I'm just sort of sitting and contemplating what happens is the 17 years number. What it means is that for the first time, Someone who was born in the United States after 9-11 is eligible to enlist in the military. That means that there's an entire generation of Americans who grew up in this this climate of fear and panic and anger and anti-Muslim bigotry and— That changes a country, right? And it also, in more tangible terms, means that we're stuck in this war in Afghanistan that was launched in response to 9 11, has been going on forever, and has cost billions, hundreds of billions of dollars, and it's not going anywhere. We're losing.
1: I think the point about uh, that Alex made about exposing like kind of the worst elements of America is a really valid one. Um, If you look at how we responded, not just in terms of launching wars, yes, but we also basically destroyed a whole bunch of civil liberties right so we passed the usa patriot act at the time it was really controversial that they could like that the government could find out what books you checked out at the library those were like innocent days back then compared to the kind of surveillance powers that the government now has and beyond that we literally tortured people right we th- some after folks. we did torture some folks to That's, quote obama ugh. um yeah, but you know, we literally kind of threw all of the rule book just out the window and said, well, the world has changed now. You know, Dick Cheney famously said like, you know, we have to go to the dark side, right? And we did. And it was one of the ugliest periods of American history. Now, to be fair, we made those decisions, right? Al Qaeda didn't make us make those decisions. Great point. We could have responded a whole number of ways, particularly not literally torturing humans. We made those decisions. So, yes, they exposed that. They exposed those kind of rifts within American culture. But, but they were there, right? That was our decision. Yeah, I
2: think that's so important because, like, none of what we did was predetermined. That was the hope. But we kind of fell—we fell into the trap that was laid out for us. And you're kind of hard-pressed, I think, to say that America is better off sort of in society, in its politics, and maybe even its military affairs since 9-11. I think, you're, I think we were in a worse spot.
1: Al-Qaeda, kind yes, of like hoped to provoke this kind of big response, right? And hope to kind of—they they talked about it publicly, right? We want to bleed America economically and militarily to, again, impose those costs to get them to finally realize— and meaning especially the American people to realize, like, your government is spending all this money on these pointless wars. We should elect new people who will stop fighting these pointless wars. That was the entire point. But, the, it, but 9-11 and our reaction to it was— way stronger than even they predicted. Just even the carnage itself was way beyond what they had even planned for or expected.
0: Now, so that strikes me as a very strong case that the attacks worked and Al-Qaeda won. But Jen, you have a different take that came up before when we were planning the episode. Talk to me about why you think they did not win.
1: Right. So if you actually look at the point of the attacks, right, like we talked about, it wasn't just to provoke this massive military attack or to provoke the United States to become really Islamophobic, right? They had explicit stated strategic goals. They were clear on this starting from 1998, when they declared officially, they issued a letter declaring jihad on America, signed by not just bin Laden, but Zawahiri and a whole bunch of other kind of jihad leaders. They issued this ruling saying, it is incumbent upon every Muslim to fight against America until, specifically, the Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem is liberated until the Holy Mosque in Mecca is liberated from their grip and until their armies withdraw from the lands of Islam, right? It wasn't, we don't want you to be like meddling and having like a strong, you know, deep water Navy in China, right? It wasn't saying we want NATO to collapse. We want the U.S. to pull back from the liberal international order, right? It wasn't saying we want the U.S. economy to collapse just for the its own sake. It was specifically saying, we want the U.S. to stop supporting dictators in Saudi Arabia, which is what they mean when they're talking about controlling Mecca. So, so they were really explicit. And that was 1998, right? You know, right after 9-11, a couple of years after 9-11, over and over, they explicitly say, America, Americans, if you want this bloodshed to stop, if you want this war to stop, if you want this jihad against you to stop, then get out of these specific lands. Get out of Muslim lands. Get out of the Arabian Peninsula. Stop supporting our dictators. They said, hey, why don't we attack Sweden, America? Did you ever ask yourself that? Why we're not attacking Sweden? It's because we're attacking you specifically because you were the ones who were doing this in Muslim lands. You were killing Muslims. You were supporting, you know, all of these dictators. Now, in some cases, they were correct. We were doing that. And in some cases, they just wildly misread history and said that we were killing Muslims, especially in places where we were... Literally at war to protect Muslims in some cases, but the point is they had very explicit, specific goals, and they have not accomplished any of those.
0: Yeah, let's drill into that point because as much as Alex and I were just talking about the Afghanistan war being a quagmire that's cost a lot of money and the U.S. is losing— that war was devastating for al-Qaeda. Not right. only did they not accomplish their goals of toppling various different dictatorships and replacing them with a with a theocracy, um, or even forcing the U.S. to stop backing those countries, which is the first step towards that, they got crushed in Afghanistan. Osama bin Laden is dead. The organization is far weaker in its home base in the Afghanistan-Pakistan region than it was before. Drone strikes have killed huge numbers of their leaders and personnel. Like, it seems like not only did they fail, but the, re- the American reaction succeeded in weakening al-Qaeda as an organization.
1: Right, and we are actually now, literally today— way more supportive of the government in Saudi Arabia than we have been in decades.
0: Let's focus on that for a second. Why do they hate American support for the Saudis and the Egyptians so much?
1: Because since uh, the 1970s and 1980s, they have literally these groups that all kind of eventually came together to be al-Qaeda have been fighting against these governments. So Ayman al-Zawahiri, who is the current leader of al-Qaeda, who was number two and then bin Laden was killed and he took over, He's from Egypt. He has been fighting to topple the Egyptian government and install an Islamic state, essentially an Islamic government, for basically his entire adult life. He was imprisoned in his 20s. He was tortured. He has been doing this forever. And what happened in specifically the Egyptian case is really telling for how it shaped al-Qaeda's views going forward, especially towards America. So in the 1990s, the United States funded and trained and equipped the Egyptian government, Mubarak, Hosni Mubarak's government, to explicitly to crack down on these terrorist groups. Ayman al-Zawahiri was leading this massive terrorist group in Egypt. So we funded the government of Hosni Mubarak in Egypt to crack down. They decimated that group. They essentially stopped all terrorism in that country for a decade. It was so bad that Ayman al and his entire group had to flee. Uh, other jihadists had to lay down arms and eventually made peace with the government and gave up jihad. So that lesson, he learned that if you have America backing this government, you will never ever be able to defeat these local governments, right? You have to get rid of America first. You have to break that alliance. And to do that, they figured, okay, then we will impose these costs, right? We will carry out terrorist attacks and we will send videotaped messages to the American people over and over saying, listen, if you guys want to be safe, if you want to walk down the street safely, then literally stop supporting these wars. Vote new people into office who will not do this, who will, you know, change and get the hell out of the Middle East. And that was the entire point. And again, today— The Trump administration literally just in July released $195 million in military aid to Egypt. Okay? So if you want to talk about did they succeed, did they win, in any way, shape, or form based on their strategic goals, they are in way worse shape than they ever were on 9-11.
2: And we're selling billions in military uh, equipment to Saudi Arabia.
1: Yeah, we're supporting their war in Yemen. We, I mean, Mohammed bin Salman, right, like the crown prince— He's like best friends with Jared Kushner now. Like right. They're all good buddies, right? Trump gave a speech on Islam in Saudi Arabia. The US president gave a speech on Islam in Saudi Arabia. If you want to talk about having American presence in Saudi Arabia, right, in the land of the two holy places, the two holiest places in Islam, if you want to get American presence out of there, you just had the American president literally give a speech there.
0: So we've heard the Al-Qaeda one case from Alex. We've heard the Al-Qaeda lost case. From Jen, what I want to hear from both of you now, and I have my own views on this, is whether or not you think these views are compatible, right? Is it—do you actually disagree with what the other person was saying, or do you think that there are senses in which al-Qaeda both won and lost?
2: I'll go first. I mean, I don't doubt for a second that Jen is right on the the specific objectives that al-Qaeda was looking for when they conducted the attack, that they wanted— the US out of out of Saudi Arabia, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't doubt that for a second, but I think it's just too narrow a view. I'll put it this way: I don't think there's any way Osama bin Laden or any Al-Qaeda member would be upset with what happened after 9-11, right? Obviously they got decimated. I'm not knocking that, but they were they were they are surely excited happy about the amount of money we've spent, the amount of societal unrest we have, the the problems that they have unleashed within our country. They may not have achieved their strategic goals and they may still be going after them, but that's completely taking away a much larger issue, I think. And so, again, agreeing with you, but I I, I view this in a much broader sense.
1: Sure. And I think, again, there are elements to the argument that they did expose a lot of—provoke a lot of horrific behavior by America, right? But you don't actually have to believe me. You don't have to listen to me because— uh, Ayman al yesterday just issued his 9-11 message. Literally yesterday? Literally yesterday issued his annual 9-11 message. Wait,
0: on 9-12? Yeah.
1: It yeah his takes, timing is off. Uh, it actually is what happens when you're being you know, chased by drones. Your ability to like upload isn't super great. Uh, again, one of the reasons why like, the U.S. effort against Al-Qaeda has actually been really fucking successful is their communications have been severely disrupted. So the fact that they actually can't get messages out as quickly as they'd like to is another sign of how— crippled they have been. But yesterday, Zawahiri issued a message, and he couldn't have been clearer on how much they have lost, and how badly they are doing, and how horrific they think everything is gone for them, and they feel like they are up against a wall. And they will lose if they do not rally right now, and all come together and stop this kind of internal fighting with ISIS, everything like that, that they will die in obscurity. So that was his whole message. He basically said, my Muslim brothers, the battle against America has become inevitable. It leaves us with one of two choices, honor in confronting their aggression or humiliation in accepting ignominy. Uh, And then he went on to say, this is how we shall wage our war, hitting hard at America, bleeding it to death economically and military until it departs from our lands in Iraq and Somalia and Aden. And, you know, lest you think that that was just maybe he was depressed this year, right? Like, maybe he hadn't slept well and he was grumpy. His message last year, his 2017 9-11 message, was even starker. He said, my Muslim and Mujahid, that means jihadi, brothers, we are facing the fiercest attack in the history of Muslims. Uh, And he goes on to say the Americans, Russia, China, Iran, secularists, and everyone else have joined hands against us. Like, we are facing the absolute worst possible attack we've ever seen. It's not just America anymore. Now the whole world is trying to fight us. And if you're Al-Qaeda, right, they're literally saying we are fucked.
0: Right. So I think the right way to think about this is not, or at least a way to think about it, is in terms of the military distinction between tactics and strategy, right? Tactically, Al-Qaeda's attack was a, a tremendous success in the sense that it accomplished its immediate objectives, it got the United States to act in the way that it wanted to. It probably, honestly, worked way better in terms of fracturing the U.S., splitting the U.S. from its allies, creating division inside the West than al-Qaeda could have ever anticipated. But strategically, meaning the bigger picture, the objectives you wanted to accomplish, Jen is clearly right that they failed. It seems to me that the biggest strategic beneficiaries of al-Qaeda's attack was not any terrorist organization. ISIS has had a pretty bad run of it, too, and they split off from al-Qaeda a while ago. It's America's great power rivals. It's countries like Russia and China that have been able to most effectively exploit the divisions inside the Western alliance created by the Iraq War and America's uh, turn to the Islamophobic right and America's withdrawal or, or lack of interest in foreign affairs. It has. It's those countries that benefit from the United States feeling overextended and spending a lot of resources on peripheral conflicts as opposed to building up – the ability to uh, engage in great power conflict or deal with the challenge of rising in hostile states. Ultimately, al-Qaeda managed to destabilize the American-led international order without accomplishing any of its specific objectives that it itself wanted. It helped other people, but not itself.
1: Right, but I think if the fundamental question that we started out this episode with was, has al-Qaeda won? That's a no, <laughs> Right. You don't win a war by getting someone else to be successful and you're destroyed. That's, that's not the definition of winning by any way, shape, or form.
0: So maybe there's two things, right? There's Did the 9-11 attacks work? I think yes. Did Al-Qaeda win in the sense of getting what they ultimately wanted? Absolutely not.
2: But you can put it this way. Like in the middle of a war, for example, if you like drop bombs on things, you didn't hit exactly what you wanted, but you still took out some tanks and some bases or whatever. All right. You're going to be fine with that. Tactically speaking, you still have you still did something right. Al-Qaeda in this case, you know, they didn't hit exactly what they wanted in terms of the strategy, but they still did a lot of damage
1: right to themselves though
2: <laughs> but to, well sure i mean i'm not i mean the
1: us economy literally in quarter 2 just had like its strongest growth in 4 years so we're not even bleeding economically like yes we've spent a lot of money on these wars but we're back to pre-recession levels of like us average well, income actually there's like, a there's the economy a is there's doing- a pretty
0: compelling case from some scholars that the iraq war played a significant role in causing the great recession but before we get into i'm not going to give al-Qaeda argument- credit
1: for that one i'm going to give them Credit for not—yeah, I'm not going to give them credit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, like, credit default swaps. <laughs> what's, what's, the housing crisis maybe a little more than bin Laden.
0: What, what's clear about this uh, is that there's still a lot of history left to play out. And as the famous potentially apocryphal quote from Deng Xiaoping on the French Revolution was, asking whether it was a mistake, he said it's still too early to tell. Same thing may be true about the 9-11 attacks.
2: Only 17 years later.
0: We're going to take a break. Afterwards, we're going to talk about some extremely strange news out of Russia. If you love Worldly, you'll love Deep Dish on Global Affairs, a weekly podcast that goes beyond the headlines on critical global issues. Deep Dish covers timely world news and important but underreported stories. Featuring everything from Obama's NATO ambassador discussing the implications of the Trump-Putin summits, to the Armenian prime minister calling in real time to speak on the country's revolution. Subscribe to Deep Dish on Global Affairs today, wherever you get your podcasts.
2: How did the Democrats lose what should have been the easiest election ever? What happened? And where do the Democrats go from here? John Favreau, Barack Obama's former chief speechwriter and host of Pod Save America, and definitely not the director of the Avengers movies tackles those questions in Crooked Media's new documentary podcast, The Wilderness. In a 15-part story that spans two centuries of American politics, John tracks the Democratic Party's journey to find its way back from the most crushing defeat in history. More than 100 strategists, historians, activists, and voters wade in to discuss how the party of Roosevelt, Kennedy, and Obama arrived at this moment and how Democrats might be able to lead us out. New episodes of The Wilderness drop on Mondays each week. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: On Elsewhere Today, we are talking about a new twist in the Skripal attack. That, uh, in case you aren't up on the latest in poisoning news, is an incident in Salisbury in the UK where a former Russian spy was attacked with a nerve agent that was left on his door handle— that happened earlier this year, but just recently, British authorities released uh, CCTV footage identifying the suspects, who they claim were Russian agents. Now, Russia Today, which is the Kremlin's English-language propaganda outlet, brought on two guys that they claim were the people on the British footage in for a conversation about why they were in Salisbury. The interview was super weird, super surreal. Uh, listen, let's just listen to it. They called You called me on my cell phone and told me that you are Ruslan Bashirov and Alexander Petrov.
2: Alexander
1: Petrov,
0: you really look like the pictures shown to us by the UK. They don't. They don't at all. No, they don't. If you look at them, line them up, they really look like different guys. We are those who were shown to you in the
2: pictures, Ruslan Bashirov. And Alexander Petrov. The are those States, your real names? Yeah, yes, States. they are our real names.
1: Remember, this is Russia Today. This is RT. This is the Kremlin-funded news organization, right? English language, essentially Russian propaganda outlet. So the fact that they, first of all, start the interview with, hey, you sure do look a lot like those guys, is a little suspect. Yeah, you think they'd
0: identify them.
1: But then it gets just crazier and crazier. So their story that they come up with is that actually... We were just in Salisbury on holiday. We were on vacation. Mm -hmm.
2: Our friends had been suggesting for a long time that we visit this wonderful town. Salisbury, a wonderful town? Yes, a tourist town. town. There's the
0: famous Salisbury Cathedral, famous not only in Europe, but in the whole world. It's famous for its 123-meter spire.
1: So we went there, but, uh uh-oh, it gets even weirder. There was too much snow on the ground, so we ended up leaving early.
2: But when we were almost there, we thought that the plane wouldn't land on the first try. as there was a heavy snowstorm. Those Russians famously hate their snow.
1: (laughs) Right, they were tropical people. You know, here's the thing. So there's actually the CCTV footage that the UK released, which we mentioned earlier. It shows them walking down the street in Salisbury, and there's no snow on the ground. There's, like, a little tiny crust of, like, white in the grass, but, like, the streets are clear, the sidewalks are clear, they're fine. So, it's absurd, right, on its face. Even if these are the guys, like, their story is ridiculous, right? And it's not even clear if they are the right guys.
0: Look, there's a bigger point here. This isn't just, like, Russians going on TV and saying ridiculous Like easily falsifiable things, right? This is part of a deliberate strategy, a manipulation of information that the Russian government's very good at.
2: Yeah, I mean they do this all the time when it comes to Syria. Like, uh, you know, we didn't drop chemical weapons, or the Syrians didn't do it. It must have been the terrorists that we've been fighting. Uh, It's a very seven-year-old strategy. Like, did you brush your teeth today? Yeah. Do you sure? Prove it. Like, (laughs) it's just prove it, prove it, prove it, prove it, prove it. Right.
1: So, I mean, that's a really important point that. This is the kind of disinformation, fake news, propaganda strategy we've seen everywhere, right? From Ukraine. They literally are like, oh, no, those are not Not Russian troops. Those are guys on vacation. They're just hanging out in eastern Ukraine. Or With guns,
2: shooting people. They're
1: civilians. They just took up arms because they really support the cause. Love them. So they've gone through this whole kind of entire range of excuses on the poisoning as well, right? But the fact that They are going to these levels. They literally maybe found some random Russian guys who kind of looked similar to the guys who are suspected of having done this. Put them on RT, the English language. Again, English language propaganda outlet. So they're not trying to sell this to Russia, right? They're not trying to sell this to their own people. They're trying to screw with Americans, British, the West, enough to create plausible deniability or even— implausible deniability, right? The way Russia does this in, you know, America here with the election interference and all over the place is this kind of wink and a nod. Like, it's so kind of ridiculous that you're pretty sure no one really buys it. But again, it's slightly plausible enough that you can't necessarily go, well, uh, yeah, I mean, you could say, I get, I guess they technically could be the guys, but like,
2: I don't buy it. Who goes to Salisbury on holiday? I'm sorry. I'm sure it's a lovely town, but like the cathedral, I've seen the photos. The cathedral's fine. It looks like every other European cathedral. You know, who doesn't, who who, who among us has not gone to Salisbury to see the Montpessant House? Also, or the, all right,
0: all right. So I don't want to like neg a town that was no, a victim no, no. of a terrorist no, attack by the Russian that, but... government, but. Also, Russia has
1: nice cathedrals. You can go see no, those. Right,
2: I, but my, the... That's my point, right? That like the, we went there just to kind of like hang
0: out seems impossible. But right. the point is to muddy information, right? It's to not, and like you don't, need to be able to prove yourself right in the in the way that Jen was saying earlier, implausible deniability is a, is a good way of putting it. right? You just want to be able to say, who knows what the truth is, and then get people to check out, to not pay attention, not be thinking about the Russians because it gets too complicated for them to deal with, to blunt public outrage, to get validators, important validators in the West like eminent journalist Seymour Hirsch, who has reported some of the Russian narrative of false flag chemical weapons as being basically true. like People like that help amplify the Russian propaganda effort and serve to make international politics to a casual observer unknowable.
1: Right. And, you know, not to make things all about Trump, right? But we see this similar kind of the truth doesn't matter. All that matters is what I say, and I will make you believe it because you support me and because I say so, right? Again, they can then turn around and go, oh, you don't believe us? Well, that's because you're biased.
0: I think that's going to be it for your dose of epistemological nihilism from Worldly. The I want, new name of the podcast. <laughs> I want to thank uh, our producers, uh, Bridget Armstrong and Bird Pinkerton, and our social media manager, Julie Bogan, who gets the show to you. I want to encourage you to rate, subscribe, review, uh, and that's it from us. Take care and have a nice week.